Uh, this morning, uh, I also want to extend a greeting to our dads. Uh, it is a difficult job to be a dad. It's a difficult job to parent anybody. Um, so I, I want to tell you this morning, um, God knows how hard that is, and he applauds our efforts. <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're continuing on with the program that changes the world. This is a, a series that really was birthed for me uh, out of just seeing the condition of the world. Something I do is I try to stay up on the news, uh, stay up on world events, what is going on in the world, and uh, it, it's a complicated thing. It can be a depressing thing, and, uh, but I think it's an important thing. It's, it's a world that God has us in, and he has us here for a purpose. So uh, <clears throat> we're going to quickly just say a few things to move forward from uh, the three weeks or the two week, three weeks previous is that there is, a, there is a problem for man, and God describes it, and that problem is sin. And what he says is, is that when man brings sin into the world, that he brings in that deception. And so we become deceived. We establish and we move into this distance from God. We lose that God orientation. And then this, this connection that man had uh, between Adam and Eve, that connection was also broken. We found that we even struggle between ourselves to, to trust, to love, uh, uh, to do the right things. Uh, we struggle between ourselves. We, we struggle in relationship, all kinds of relationship. It creates that distance between each other, and it creates ultimately this destruction and death that operates in our life until our life is done. And God declares in the scripture that there are these effects along the way uh, of sin on humanity. And we see that it uses uh, differences in humanity, ethnic, uh, tribal lines, racial. We saw that this week where a young man in that deception, in that brokenness, decided to kill nine people because they were black. I don't know any of these nine people, obviously, and I don't know this young man. But it appears that these nine people were our brothers and sisters in Christ. And something was terribly wrong there. We see the effect of sin. We see the religious lines that are drawn everywhere. And the struggle and the fight and the tension those religious lines bring the socio and economic lines where there's poverty and there's the rich and they can be right next to one another. The haves and the have-nots. The ones with prestige and the ones who are bearing the brunt and the weight of the world. There's power, there's greed, there's fear. That deception holds its power. And then our natural resources, because of the number of people in the world, are being depleted. And natural resources are a source of global conflict and atrocities where they kill people for diamonds. They kill children for diamonds. They kill an entire tribe so that they can get diamonds. Or the material that goes into your iPhone, they kill for that because it's mined in specific places. And everybody knows that if I have the material that goes into an iPhone, I can be rich. All I have to do get it from you. That's the nature of sin. God created man, he declares, that man did not have the ability to fix the world and that the condition of man is terminal. Now, man's God hope is this. What God says is he says, you can't fix it, but I can. And because I love you, because I created you in my image, I'm coming after you. Not to, not to kill you, not to punish you, but I'm coming after you 
to rescue you from what you cannot rescue yourself from. And God has set a plan in play. And at the right time, Jesus came. And the scripture says that he came to seek and save those who are lost, those who are, have that distance between God and them, those who are under that deception. They're under the power of the system of this world where greed and power and stuff and things and prestige and popularity are all the things that the dream is made of. And God says, it's all a deception. He came, it says, as a light to the world, a dark world. He came as the hope of the world. That's who he came as. That's his calling card. I came to seek and save you. I came to light the way. I came to bring you hope. That's why I'm here. That's what Jesus said. So in John, 1 John chapter 1, 9, we read that if we confess our sins, if we say, yep, they're mine. Yes, I agree. I am not what I was supposed to be. The difference is we have to denounce the system we're in. We have to denounce that the greed and the power and the struggle for things is not the answer. You see, it is saying, I understand, and I understand that God is saying, that's the deception. And the truth is, I am not okay. You see, that's the confession. I'm not okay. And for those of you, myself, I just turned 58. I've had 58 years to fix it. And I can tell you just from this week, I am not even close on my own to fixing What's wrong with me? If we confess our sins, it says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has the power to fix what we can't. And just quickly, last week I shared that deception, the power is broken, the distance between God and us is healed, and we can now have that relationship. The distance between us and one another, the power and the potential for God to come in and heal and continue to heal is ever-present. And death and destruction, it says, are overpowered by Jesus. The world experienced Jesus as a Savior. They experienced his power, his authority, his compassion, his boldness, his fearlessness, the fact that he was always involved and engaged in that moment, in the time, and that he was focused on that purpose to seek and save that which was lost. We learn that the people who follow Jesus step into those shoes. Whether you think they're big or small matters not. We step into those shoes, and he says, you now go and tell the story that I was telling. You are my witnesses. It says you are now the light of the world, and it says you are now the hope of the world, and that becomes the role of everybody who follows Jesus. And the world needs to experience the power, the authority, the compassion, the boldness, the purpose, and the time of Jesus in each one of us. You see, that is the power to change the world. That and only that changes the world. Here's the truth. Jesus was an activist. I, I grew up not liking that word. Uh, it's kind of a subversive word. It always means anti-something. But Jesus was very, very anti he was anti the system that we lived under. He was anti the deception that we labored under. He was anti the effects of everything that was condemning us. But he wasn't anti you or me. You see, Jesus saw injustice, and he dealt with it. He saw victims, and he called them out of it. 
And he saw the masses, and they were aimless, and they were lost and leaderless. And he gave them the way out. That's an activist. <clears throat> we think of it as somebody that rallies people for right and wrong. And as I, uh, I watch blogs, I watch uh, uh, activism in social media, I think it can do some great things. It can get a guy fired who probably should be fired. It can right some wrongs. It can highlight some injustices in the world. And if we all get together and we all tweet and we all pass along the things that we see that are injustices that we see in YouTube, we pass them along and we create this viral swell. And if we all did that, we would all be overwhelmed by the injustice and realize there is no way that we can fix the rights, the wrongs, into rights. Jesus was an activist who made a difference more than just somebody being fired or somebody being hired or somebody being compensated. How did he do it? The scripture tells us that he went in the power of the Holy Spirit. He went with the Holy Spirit, leading him and showing him the way. That inner voice that every believer has. Every believer has a voice that can speak. Now, we don't always listen to it. And we're not always trained to hear it. We're trained to hear other things. And there's a retraining. But you can hear that voice. He went in that power and the authority and those things as we spoke about. Those were the tools. Those were his tools of rebellion. He used compassion as a tool of rebellion. When they, when they brought somebody to him caught in adultery, the very act of adultery, which was a, a, a sin punishable by death, He let her go. He showed compassion, mercy. That was the tool. That's how he righted wrongs. That's how he fixed what's wrong. Very different than what we're used to. <clears throat> he started where he was, and he offered the good news. You want to be an activist? Start where you are. You want to make a difference, start where you are. You happen to be today exactly where you are. So it's a great place to come with the tools of activism that Jesus used and apply them right now, today. There are three particular ones that I want to point out today that I think are going to be critical for our going forward. If we are going to take what he did and do what he did, then we're going to have to do something different than what we do. Did you follow that? Number one, Jesus did not look to declare which ones are villains and which ones are victims. I want you to hear that. He did not sit down and declare, decide, take judgment over who's right and who's wrong. He did not start there. Do you realize our activism always starts with who's right and who's wrong? Our activism is always about finding the villain and the victim and trying our best to make it right. But we always seem to struggle with that. Brown was shot and he was unarmed. He was killed. Is that the whole story? I don't know. Was he a perfect guy? No. He had a difficult history. You can go on YouTube and you can watch him beat up old people. Was he innocent? I don't know. Was the police officer guilty? 
of murder? I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions. I am not capable, sitting in Lake Jackson, Texas, to discern. Now, I can tweet about it. I can, I can give my opinions. I can, I can read blogs. I can challenge others on what my views might be. But at the end of the day, I'm a guy sitting in Lake Jackson, Texas, that is taking all the hearsay I can find, and I am determining on my own who is the villain and who is the victim. And based on that, I will judge. That is the activism that we struggle with. You see the problem with it? You see, it determines that somebody has to be completely right and completely wrong. Because if it's somewhere in the middle, it's all messed up and you can't really say. You go to prison and you get all the money. That's our activism. I think it's all we have. You see, it's our best effort at justice. It's our best effort to make something wrong right. But the scripture says this. God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. He did not send his son to this world to identify the villains. He did not send his son here to condemn and to judge and to finalize the bad people. That is not why Jesus came. It says that he came into the world that the world might be saved. That's why he came. You see how his is different? He doesn't start with let's identify the villain and the victim. He says, everybody here is wrong. And if he were to write the story, it would sound like this. You are all villains. You've all gotten it wrong along the way. Every one of you. And then he might say, so where do you want to go from here? Shall we continue with justice? Shall we really make this right? Shall I become an activist under your system? Because he has the power to do it. What Jesus would say is, that's not why I'm here. Do you know how relieving it would be for the church to step into those situations and say, that's not why we're here. We are not here to say these are villains and these are victims. Or the other way around. Or usually the church is split on it. These are villains, these are victims. The other one says, these are victims, these are villains. And there are those that say, kill them all and let God sort it out. That's our justice. Let, let's look at Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, to set this up, if you read chapter 1 um, of Romans, it goes through and it talks about all the sin behavior of man. It lists like a lot of them, you know? So... You can look at chapter 1 on your own time. You can see if you're in there. If you're not in there, I suggest you take it up with Jesus. Maybe you dodge the bullet. But if you're in there, if you've ever lied, uh, deceived, stolen, you know, sex outside of a monogamous marriage, something like that, you might be in that list somewhere. Now, that list is not there to bring condemnation to you. How do we know that? Because that is not why Jesus came. That's not why the list is there. The list isn't there to go, all right, let's see how you've done. The list is there to describe the condition of humanity. 
And then it takes this twist in chapter 2. After there's this list, you have this interesting word in the first part of chapter, uh, chapter 2, therefore. That's the connector with chapter 1. Because of this chapter 1 stuff, it says, now therefore. You have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. You see, you struggle under that same sin condition. The scripture says, You're, you and I, we're not even really capable of good judgment. Not on a person. It doesn't mean we can't understand right and wrong. It doesn't mean we don't act on right and wrong. It says that to sit and judge people is not what he sent us to do. Verse 2. Now we know that, God, uh, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? So let's break it down. I want you to see there are four pieces in that text that are important to us. These are kind of effects on our demand for justice now. That's kind of the way I look at it. When I want justice now, here's what it says. We're guilty of the same things. We have the same issues. Number two, when you say they are wicked, all right, when you say I want justice from them, this needs to be made right. When we say that and we want that justice, we're condemning ourselves. The third point, it says it's true that God is righteous and will indeed judge and condemn all of that behavior. That piece is true. So the question comes back, if that's true, how are you, how am I, going to avoid God's judgment? We read on, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's a very meaty verse. So we'll break that down. We could kind of reword that, that first point. It says, you're showing disregard. You're counting as no value God's kindness. Or his forbearance. And, and, and this is just a definition for it. The action of refraining from exercising a legal right, especially enforcing the payment of a debt. Are you discounting the value of God's kindness and his forbearance and his patience? And then there's this home run hit. He says, realize it. Get it. God's kindness is intended to lead people to repentance. And that means, that word repentance just means to turn back to God. To turn to him. God says that he delays judgment for a reason. It's because he's extending kindness and forbearance and patience to me, to you, to us, to the world. He says, no, I have not exacted that judgment yet. And there's a reason. I'm being kind. I'm holding off 
I'm willing to be patient. He is a just God. Justice will take place. But his desire is that you and I and everybody in the world, his desire is that we would come to Jesus with all of the Romans chapter 1 sins of our life. We would come to him with everything that separates us, everything that hurts us, everything that wounds us, and we would bring that to Jesus. And that would go on him. And we would be set free. You see, the world doesn't, not everybody knows that truth. There's a way out of sin. That's the gift to you and I. That's our story now. There's a way out. But I want you to understand here. You see, God pulls us back in this text from making the victim and the villain the point of our story. Our activism is not about figuring out who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. Our role is to seek and save that which is lost. He wants us to know this. In a minute, we're going to see, you see, our role is right here. We use kindness and forbearance and patience knowing that those things are what God uses and now what we use, that people would find their way to Jesus. Villains and victims are not our business. The second point I want you to get, connect with people where they are. A real activist is someone who connects with people where they are. Jesus was an activist. If we follow him, that's the shoes we're in. We connect with them where they are. We connect with people wherever you are. We see the story where Paul relates this reality. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to start in chapter 9. This is 19 through 23. I'm going to be reading this out of the New Living Translation. Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. I'm willing to give up something here. I'm willing to give up liberty. I'm willing to give up freedom. I'm willing to give up things. You see... For an activist, you can pass something along, you can tweet something, you can give your opinion on something, but we're not giving up much to sit at our computer or our iPad and fire off our thoughts on a transgression somewhere in the world. I'm willing to do this the people could come to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I lived under that law, even though I was not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law. I live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. 
When I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. That's an activist. That's somebody who is an intentional about changing the world. And they realize that to change the world, to change the world always begins with this right here. A changed heart. If the heart doesn't change, we can put somebody in prison. Someone does something to one of your family members. We can put them in a court of law. We can put them in prison, but it doesn't take away what happened to your family member. Nothing's going to change what happened. Justice really can't be found. Not really. At the end of the day, people who are in places where they have experienced genocide, where their whole family is lost, at the end of the day, it will take God healing their heart to know the freedom of justice. For them to experience justice and mean, what I'm saying is set free of the debt that they feel for the loss of their family. And it's true of those who are the villain. You see, there's no way they can be set free. They can regret all they want. Only Jesus can come in and heal that place where regret, where pain, where loss has taken its toll. You see, all over the world, people are hurting and wounded. All over the world, the effect of sin powerful. My concern is I'm not sure how powerful the message of the gospel is coming from the church. I'm not sure how equipped and adept we are at demonstrating a power and an authority of love, of suffering and sacrifice, of grace and kindness that the world would believe there is an alternative to a gun or a sword or annihilation or revenge. Is there an alternative to those things? Or do we just do this to one another until we're all gone? Paul was willing to sacrifice his own status. Willing to associate with those that he doesn't like or agree with. Willing to listen and to learn their story. You know, when you listen to your enemy's story, When you take time to consider your enemy's story, they have one. They have a story. And that story is real for them. That story is powerful for them. That story is driving them in doing things. So he connected with people where they are. Wherever he was, the people that were there, he found ways to connect with them. This is the last verse in that passage. 
I wanted to break it out separately. Verse 23, Paul says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. He saw that story as critical, as important. He saw that story as a story that would change the world. The gospel has demonstrated this power in places all over the world where enemies had become friends, true friends. Where families and, and tribes that have been warring for generations found peace and brotherhood. It's when that power, when that authority of the message through someone who's willing to deliver it and make it more powerful than our own needs, our own story, it's in that place that the world begins to change. Second Timothy, verse, uh, chapter 4, this is uh, verses uh, 3 through 5. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their, the, their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And the council, verse 5, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out your ministry God has given you. Work at telling others the good news. In the NIV it says this, and do the work. There's a word that's going to slip out right now. And do the work of an evangelist. A lot of people might think that word's, you know, old and past its time or has a lot of baggage in it. But what the word means is share the good news. That's all it means. Evangelist is not necessarily somebody on the corner with a megaphone. It's not somebody that's shouting from a pulpit and you see the spit coming from their mouth and those things. An evangelist is one who is sharing the good news that Jesus has come to take all the burden, all the weight, all the shame, all the guilt, all the regret, and set people free. That's the good news. And it goes out to every villain. And it goes out to every victim. And God wants it to go out viral. He wants it to go. He wants it to start right where you are, right where I am. To know the message of the gospel. To know that your activism is not about discerning the villain and the victim. It's not about choosing a side. The moment you choose a side doesn't mean you can't understand right and wrong. When somebody comes to me and says, you know, they did this to me. I believe them. I don't have any reason to not believe them. But that's not where the story begins. I don't know where the story begins. And for the most part, I'm not totally interested in where the story begins. What I'm interested in is where is this story going? 
Where is it going? Because right now, what I have in front of me is someone who powerfully feels like a victim. And I have others come to me with great regret. This happened this week. And they feel very much like the villain. Do you know that the solution is the same for both of them? The solution is the same. They're both struggling under the weight of sin. Whether it's something done to me or something I've done to somebody else, they both kill me. They're both deadly for me. What I need is the same. I need forgiveness. I need it. Go and do the work of an evangelist. Go and do the work of sharing this good news. Go in that power. Go in that authority. Go in that compassion. Go in that kindness. Go in that purposefulness. Go and share this story. We don't share this story enough. I was listening to Rich Nathan. He was talking about his friend David Parker in Lancaster. And they had a, what they call a, uh, kind of a, you know, churches kind of fall into a couple of categories. You have some churches that are kind of, uh, I'm going to use the term ingrown. They would totally be offended at that term. But it's a, it's a church that basically is, you know, kind of together looking after itself. And then you have other churches that are kind of outward, fo- inward focused. That was the term I was looking for. They were inward focused and other churches that are, uh, kind of outward focused. And there are some other categories, but just focusing on these two. This church was kind of inward focused, and he really felt like they needed to change something. And so they're praying and praying and praying, and they're, you know, getting together every week and they're praying. And after months of praying, uh, Dave felt like he heard God speak what he should do. And here's what the wisdom of God was. David, go do something. Go do something. Walk out the door. Take what you have from me and go speak. Go do something. Swing the bat. Just keep swinging it. You'll hit something eventually. That's what John Wimber said about praying. If you want to see someone healed because you prayed for them, then pray for everybody. And just, it's going to accidentally happen sometime. Go do something. Are the people of God busy about doing something? Is the message of God's goodness, God's plan, the fact that he is not sitting back and looking at destroying you because you have failed him, that he is not looking and counting all of your failures, all of your weaknesses, all of your addictions and saying, I can do better than you. That's our message. Is that not, is not what God is thinking or saying? But he's asked us to be the voice of hope. We're going to stop the slides here uh, because I'm going to consolidate and move around and do things my own way. I mean, these were my own way, but I'm changing my own way.
My counsel to us today is every one of us, go do something. Take what you have from God. Embrace the power and the authority and the compassion. Embrace the kindness that he is able to give you. And go tell somebody. Go be kind to someone. Go be powerful on their behalf. And I'm going to give you some ideas on how to do this. I'm going to give you some go-to things here. Number one is most of us are not really that crazy about the world. We look at the news. And the people that have 19 kids, you know, we think they're a little, something's wrong with them. We look at, in the news, there's Honey Boo Boo, and there's uh, Boko Haram, and there's uh, the Palestinians and the Israelis, and the Russians and the nukes, and Ukraine, and the, and the issues going on in Brazil and, and, and Cuba. After you go down so far, and if you go down far enough, at least on, on Yahoo News, you'll see it starts repeating. But you don't really know it. Because it's all kind of the same. That's your world. That's you. That's me. My life is that. You know, without Jesus, I am honey boo boo. I am ISIS. I am Hamas. Without Jesus, I'm messed up. And with Jesus, I might still have pieces of that messed up, okay? But what I'm saying is, that hope and that message is at work in my life. And that's the peace I have to share with someone else. When there's someone grieving, that's your moment. When someone is angry, that's your moment. When someone is arrogant, oh, there's a moment to love right there. Right there. Can you be kind to someone who is arrogant? That's not my strength but I'm working on it. Take notice of the world you're in and its condition. And it will remind you that they are desperate for Jesus. They're desperate for hope. They're desperate. On a smaller scale, the same thing. Become aware of the people around you. You want to move in power and authority? You want to move in kindness and love? I'm going to tell you how to do that with the people around you. This week, I want you to focus on the people in your life that you actually don't really like. Those that maybe annoy you. Those that maybe make your life a little miserable. I want you to focus, and here's why. It's because it will require you to use Jesus and all the tools that he brings. Focus on them. They need you to focus on them. They desperately need someone who will believe in them when they can't. They need someone who will lift them up before the throne of God. Someone that will look beyond their crimes. Love them where they are. That's what Jesus would do.
Be prepared to be inconvenienced. It's one of the things I dislike the most is my inconvenience. I'm inconvenienced every day. Many of you are too. Yesterday I had a super busy day. I was trying to put about 30 hours of stuff in 20 hours. I went to bed about 5 this morning. Still didn't finish. I'm up at the church yesterday coming up to make sure that we could get our air conditioner running for today. You're welcome. And I come around the corner to the steps, and there's a homeless guy on the steps throwing up. And in that moment, I thought, oh, I wish this didn't happen. I'm being honest. Like, oh, this is going to take time. This is not quick. And it wasn't quick. And it did take time. It took a lot of time. But all the time I'm doing this, I know it was my opportunity to be Jesus. I knew that it was a moment orchestrated by God. And I got to embrace it. And I fit it in, like, like many of you do. Being an activist will be inconvenient for you. If you love people, if you come in power and authority for people, it will be inconvenient for you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cramp your schedule. But you know, changing the world will not be accomplished with 15 minutes on Facebook every night, giving your comments on indiscretions around the world. That's not going to do it. For activists, there is a time component involved. So prepare to be inconvenienced. It's not about picking a side. It's one of the hardest things we have to let go of. As a pastor, I rarely pick sides. I don't find a lot of fruit in it. I don't pick sides. What I know at the very bottom of it all, you're all guilty. Let's work from there. Let's go forward. Doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin. Doesn't mean we don't call wrong, wrong. It says it can't be the point of going forward. Refrain from judging people. It's not what we do. Refrain from judging people. I can judge a sin. I can say, that's wrong. But I can't judge a person. Judging a person is about a sentence. It's about condemning them. I, I'm not really in that business. I can say, that's wrong, but here's why I need to be saying it. That's hurting you. Because sin is hurting us, isn't it? That's hurting you. We don't always know it. I think I told this story before. I have, my teeth here are chipped. Can't really tell it. They're chipped. I got, you know, in a fight years ago and teeth were chipped. Um, and in years and years after that, I go to the dentist. And uh, it was a new dentist. He's working on my teeth and he says, 
do those chips bother you as much as they do me? It's been 10 years. I didn't even remember them anymore. I mean, I look in the mirror, but you don't see, oh, there's chips. I, I didn't do that. I said, well, since you're bringing it up, it probably bothers you more than it does me. He says, why don't you let me fix that? I said, what do you mean, fix it? He said, yeah, why don't you let me fill it in? I said, really, fill it in, like Bondo on a car or something. He says, yeah, something like that. I said, you know, that's going to look weird. You know, it's going to look like white or gray or whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not cool on that. He said, no, you won't be able to tell it. Now I'm looking at him and say, you're, you're telling me you can add on to my teeth and no one can tell it. He said, yeah. No, that can't be true. How do you do that? Because everybody's teeth are kind of different, right? He says, I'll tell you what. Let me do it. If you don't like it, I'll take it off. I said, well, how long does this take? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. 15 minutes and 115 bucks or something like that. And you can, you can make it like it never happened. Yeah. I want to see you do it. I mean, it was not about the teeth anymore. It was about I did not believe this good news. So he does it. I keep looking in the mirror. I can't tell the difference, you know. I'm just staring. You can't see a crack or anything. So I go to church that night. I'm kind of, <laughs> nobody noticed. It was terrible. But I knew. I knew I was whole. I knew I was different. You see, my dentist delivered some good news. He showed me the way. He wasn't there to condemn my broken teeth. He was there to tell me there was a way for that to be fixed. You see, that's our role. And any time we move away from that role, we lose our way. <clears throat> A final point. Being offended. Or passionate and letting that drive you will not change the world. Letting our passion and our offense. If somebody offends us, then I have to start with me before I can help them. I have to start with me. God is calling you to be an activist. To be at work. To go and do something. Be brave. Be courageous. Get outside of your comfort zone. And I know quiet, introverted people think this is much easier for extroverted people. I haven't really found that to be true. Certainly not in being effective. Extroverted people just talk a lot more, but we don't necessarily do a better job at delivering the good news. We just talk more. We fill airspace. We confuse people. We screw it up. Quiet people are more succinct, you know. Can you love people where they are? The story begins where you are. If you would stand. The world changing is where you are. A tweet can go viral. A YouTube video can go viral. And that might seem like success or importance. But in another week, nobody will remember that one. 
And there'll be something else that's viral. 